Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Twenty third of Jan, January. By the way, is letter F, and this is a futures day, so you might as well learn it now. February is G. We'll get into it as the year progresses. Uh, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, how are you, Dan? I, I'm doing. Listen, I missed yesterday. I missed being on the market call with you and Carter Braxton Worth. I heard it was excellent. I saw some of the feedback in the YouTube. By the way, if you are not following Risk Social Media. And our YouTube channel, you got to do that, right? How is because that possible? How, how a how is it possible? B we've been really excited. We've really grown in subscribers. I think a lot of the engagement uh, during the show has been fire emoji, as the kids like to say. So we really appreciate that. So check us out. I was looking at a little of it. I was not here, but I was checking it out, guy. Um, and you guys were fantastic, but I missed it. I I missed you. Carter missed you. Um, But you had things going on, which, you know, listen, life happens as they say. And today, you know, I look at the market and I say not a lot's happening. I mean, the move in the Dow is basically two stocks. So I don't want to get crazy here. The S&P is effectively unchanged. NASDAQ, for all intent and purposes, they say effectively unchanged. You know, the weakness in the Russell is concerning. But let's take a look at our rundown for today. We're going to take a market breath check which you should always do, by the way, especially before you get on a plane. Is a sell-off coming soon? That's a question that we're positing. And we'll do a little earnings roundup, not Monsanto roundup. By the way, not that you care, I know. Um, I used a lot of roundup, you know, as a kid growing up and doing those different things. You don't really want to mess with that stuff. It it ain't no good. No, I mean you did a lot of lawn work back in the day. It sounds like guy. Um, Well, Well, let's make you got to make a living. Let, let's, you know, the, the whole thing, you know, Amanda, she programmed financial TV for a very long time. And so coming up with snappy titles, you know, that's just something that is her want to do, as you might say. So the, the whole market breadth thing, you know, we for years we did, you know, bad breath. This sure. that. Yesterday's on the tape podcast that I was on with you had a fire uh, title, if you saw that, because you had made some joke about our time and my time, and you made it was a Spicoli, Mr. Hand sort of thing. And I guess the title ended up being Fast Times at Market Highs, which I thought was pretty good. I saw well, you that. know what? It was, I wish I could take credit for yeah. it. Amanda should take credit for it. Yeah. But as it turns out, I think one of our viewers and or listeners yeah. was the one that sort of All threw right. it our way. So we give a what do they call it when you give like somebody an HT? Yeah, you give them a hat tip. All right, well, let's do this. Let's give a hat tip to um, our friends and yours um, at Bespoke, Bespoke Invest on the uh, on the Twitter. And this is really, I, I guess, the comment about market breath here, Guy. And so I thought this was a really uh, interesting tweet here. As of January 19th, NVIDIA and Microsoft had accounted for almost 75% of the S&P 500's gain this year, while the 20 largest stocks in the index accounted for 110% of the index's upside move. The remaining 480 stocks were acting as a drag. Now, this is a big story, I think, for for 
much of last year for the market. That's how we got to that mag seven sort of thing here. The fact that we are three weeks in January, guy, we're kind of kicking off earnings season here. And this is still the story of the stock market as we are at new all-time highs. Is it more concerning now, less concerning? Are we broadening out? You know, like, you know, like all that sort of stuff. I mean, you mentioned the Russell 2000. When you look at Microsoft, Microsoft's market cap is greater than the entire yeah. market cap of the Russell 2000 small cap stocks. And this is something we talked about yesterday with Carter, as you know, we looked at the Russell 3000, but is it concerning? Yeah, I, I think it is. But I also think with each passing day, for whatever reason, market participants seem to grow more and more comfortable with the fact that you know this market's going to be driven by 10, 15, 20 different stocks. And I guess the bull case is at some point, those stocks will not necessarily wane, but flatten out. But then we'd sort of be bolstered by the other 480 or some portion or some percentage thereof. I think that's the bull case. But then the flip side of the coin is you have to ask yourself, why have those stocks so many have been underperforming? What is really going on? And last night on Fast Money, I mentioned that once again, leading economic indicators were down this, you know, for last month. So yep. that makes it now 20 mon- 21 months in a row. I think the bulls will say, they were expected to be down 0.3. They were only down 0.1. So I guess the rate of change or things are slightly improving. However, it's still a negative m- number. Not only has it been 21 months in a row, but it's 22 out of the last 24 months, which effectively means it's been you know 90% of the last two years or thereabouts. So that is concerning. And you go back historically, I mean, these things don't augur particularly well moving forward layered on top of that, all the things we talk about in terms of the yield curve, talking about bank lending and credit standards and all the different things. Yeah, it's concerning. But to answer your original question, the market seems to be okay with those 10, 15, 20 stocks driving the bus. Yeah. And I guess let's throw those seven up for one, one, one second again here. And I think what's really important is that, you know, like Tesla, you know, two years ago or a little more was a $1.2 trillion market cap company. Right now it is a $665 billion market cap company. Okay. So it has been essentially cut in half. It's, uh, you know, essentially been, to me, it's not particularly magnificent anymore. What's magnificent is that, you know, given its fundamentals, it still has a $665 billion market cap, in my opinion. So if they can throw those seven up there, that little screen that we had before, you know, if you start losing them one by one guy is, I guess the point Apple, was just trading at what $175. Now it's trading at $192 or $94, right? So it's back up here, but that stock was down five or six percent. Let's say when Apple reports next week, let's say the guidance is poor. Let's say some issues are emerging in China that are not too different than some of the things that Tesla's dealing with over there. You know, like whatever it is, okay, let's say then you start to lose Apple. Then it gets increasingly more concentrated in a Microsoft. But Microsoft, we know, is locked in this death battle with Google on the AI front, right? And so maybe they're starting to compete on price. Maybe Amazon, which has been floundering as it relates to their growth in AWS, because they actually are, have a more competitive situation from Google and Microsoft because of the AI tools that people are going to their public cloud. I mean, like, this is how I'm kind of threading this all together. Mm-hmm. But let's just say 
Q1 and Q2 represent a digestion period for some of these great stories, right? Let's just say that, that the last year's performance was anticipating some of the fundamental news that we have this year. This is why earnings season to me right now is going to be so important. So I just want to bring that up there. If you think about Microsoft, if you think about Amazon and Google and Meta right now, the enthusiasm around those stories could not be better, right? And so if the guidance doesn't live up to investment perceptions and where valuations are on those names, we're going to have a problem. So that's why, to me, the Tesla story is important because it's no longer magnificent. It is the mag sixth guy. Yeah, well, Tesla is obviously the first one to go. I mean, but that's been happening for quite some time, to your yeah. point. We've talked about the pennant formation. If we could throw up an Apple chart real quick with moving averages over the last, I don't know, year, year and a half or so, you'll see that in October, we traded down to and bounced off the 200-day moving average. Well, guess what? The same thing happened over the last week, week and a half, where you had those series of downgrades. Apple traded down to and bounced right off that moving average. So that's been a bit of support without question. And you can see it right there. I mean, you can say, guy, we violated it back in October. I get it. But you see what I'm saying. We yeah. lasted for a couple of days. And this one, we obviously traded down to and bounced in a meaningful way. But to your point, now it's really at a point where you need to prove itself. And listen, if we get through those prior, those prior double tops, I guess it's off to the races. The question one has to ask himself is, you know, what is going to be the impetus for that? Now, a lot of people will point to Taiwan Semi. Obviously, the relationship, the, the customer-client relationship they have with Taiwan Semi and Apple is important. I think Taiwan Semi sort of reaccelerated this Apple move to a certain extent. But, yep. you know, we've seen head fakes before. So let's see how that pans out. Microsoft. And the interesting thing about all these stocks, they're all really their own universe. I mean, there's some overlap, I guess. You know, you can make an argument that maybe Google and Facebook have a little overlap, those types of things. But in large part, they're their own animals. And Maybe there's a concern that the spend on Facebook is maybe waning vis-a-vis -vis small business, which obviously is a lion's share of their ad spend. There are a lot of things to be concerned about, but when you wake up and pull your head up and the S&P is 4850, yep. it's seemingly without care in the world. Yeah, by the way, um, I'm sitting down in about an hour or so, Guy, with Gene Munster of Loop Ventures, and we are going to do a MAG7 earnings preview, um, and that's going to drop in the OK Computer feed tomorrow morning. So you're going to want to uh, catch that. Mm -hmm. We do that every quarter with Gene, and we just run through all the names, and we talk about a lot of things that you just kind of highlighted. And again, the Apple thing is interesting to me, Guy, because again, you know, Taiwan Semi, they're about a 22% customer or so, right? So a lot of customer concentration. And I just, let, let's just pull this up, okay? Okay, so this is interesting. So you could say the sentiment was really bad a couple of weeks ago. The stock had a few downgrades and it was trading right on that support level, right? And it bounced and it got an upgrade last week. And I, you know, again, we don't care about the upgrades, downgrades. It really speaks to kind of investor sentiment, in my opinion, right? Now let's pull up. We have a few charts in Tesla. It's almost the exact opposite here. So now you know, we went from poor sentiment to positive sentiment heading into the Apple print guy. Now look at this. Here's Tesla. This is a one year. You see that uptrend that's been in place for the last year. We are sitting right on it. We're below that 200 day moving average. Now let's kind of broaden the chart out just a little bit here. This is interesting to me. And we highlighted this, you know, a couple of times over the last few weeks. Over the last three quarters where the stock is reported, it sold off the next day about 9%. If we were to have sort of sell off from a high that includes that earnings period, might we get down close to 30% or so? That would bring us down to that kind of $185 mm -hmm. mark. But here's the thing, guy. 
The sentiment's really bad. The stock's down 20% in just the last three and a half weeks. Is this something you really want to press on the short side? Everybody knows the quarter is going to be bad and the guidance is expected to be bad. I want to see just how bad and how far investors are willing to A, sell it or disregard the news and look beyond it. So to me, this is a bad setup you know, to press a short just the way trying to buy Apple for a breakout might be also a bad setup from the long side. And last thing, look at this last chart that we have in Tesla talking about mm-hmm. that pennant that you've been talking about. We're below that uptrend from the Jan, uh, you know, the Jan 2023 lows. And so might this set up to be a great short on bad news, stock bounces, but doesn't really get meaningfully above the implied move, which is about 7%, which also happens to be guy that 200 day moving average up there, like 232 or so. Yeah, you know, so many things like yes, all those yes to all of the above. Is it a good way to is it a good short to press here? Probably not in the earnings. Is there a chance that they say something that the market sort of gravitates towards and you trade back up to the downtrend line? Absolutely. But what I would submit is it feels to me like the uptrend line has been violated and any bounce at this point, you're looking to sell. And to your earlier point, this is a stock that's been in a downtrend since October of 2021. I mean, this it's not just me saying it. It's not just you saying it. The chart and the numbers speak for themselves. By the way, that's an, against a backdrop of obviously a broader market that's done extraordinarily well over that period of time. So yep. clearly there's something going on here. And again, to hammer home the point you make, the times that fundamentals seemingly matter in this stock are historically times when the stock seems to sell off. The rest of the time, it gets caught up in some of the euphoria. So we'll see. But more important than any of that is, what does this mean for market sentiment? Like, how important is Tesla in terms of the broader market and people's thoughts about things? Because if, in fact, they miss and the stock does, 176, by the way, has been my level for a while. You know, what is that going to say about the broader market? And what do people start to start? People start peeking their heads up and asking what's going on. And does it manifest itself in, in other areas of the market? That's really what I'm most fascinated to see. Well, you know, it's it's a great listen. If the company were to actually kitchen sink, let's say the 2024, you know, deliveries and margins and this and that, whatever, the stock, you know, probably does sell off. It probably finds its way back towards 180 or something like that. And who knows how long it will be there because I think then a lot of shorts might look to cover because then they've kind of set the bar low enough where they can start to beat. The one thing I think is really important, and, and to Elon's credit, he goes on each of their calls. Now he has whined an awful lot over the last year about macro about the pace of rate hikes, interest right, rates, right, right, all that sort of stuff. They've been cutting prices. They're right at the kind of vortex of all the issues as it relates to geopolitical in, in Europe and, and obviously with China. So I think what he has to say on the macro will be really important. And also, if it has changed at all, especially when you think about the course of, of rate hikes and what's going to happen, which so let, let's let's zoom out here, Guy. Let, let's take a look at what expectations are. We know we have the Fed rate um, uh, meeting decision next week. It's, I think it's Jan 31. We know what the CME Fed funds tracker is pricing. It's basically a 0% probability um, of a move at that meeting. But if we look out to March, this was something where just a few weeks ago, the likelihood of the first cut in more than two years was pretty great. And now it doesn't look particularly great. It looks like almost like a coin flip. And so we're going to be monitoring the data here. We have a 10-year yield. Let's throw that up at 4.15%. You know, looks like it found a little bit of a home here. You've been talking about that. Um, So to me, what's your take? Because there's a lot of single stocks 
that are very rate sensitive on my fact set screens today, guy, that are moving some contrary to the way you expect them to move with rates higher and some doing exactly what you would expect them to do. You know, I would say, you know, being fair, I'd say the market's done extraordinarily well the last few weeks where where the 10 year yields have gone from 380 to current levels, 415, which is effectively the highest we've seen outside of one little blip a couple of days ago. So you call it a 35, 40 basis point move to the upside. And again, if you had told me that before it happened and said, okay, where's the NASDAQ going to be or any of these individual names, uh, semis, high growth, high valuation tech, I would say, you know, they're probably under significant pressure and that has not been the case. So clearly to your point, there are a lot of these names that have bucked the trend in terms of yields because maybe the market doesn't believe it. You know, maybe there's this perception that, okay, this is just sort of a back and fill to the upside. We're going to continue that journey lower in yields. We shall see. We talked about it with Carter yesterday. Carter had some charts that suggest that yields are going to start to fall once again. But to answer your question, you know, I think the market's done pretty well in the face of this. With that said, getting back to Tesla briefly, yes, Elon Musk absolutely mentioned interest rates on that last conference call. Obviously, that was probably around the zenith of rates-ish, if you really want to sort of go back and look. Rates have come off significantly since then. We'll see if he addresses that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he's been whining about it for over a year, right? And and so let, let's just see what is likely to change. And so, Guy, you know, one of the things, and we highlighted this yesterday on, on the tape when you and I were discussing this, especially with kind of the 10-year <clears throat> finding a little bit of a home with a 4% on, on the lower end here. And you've been talking about, you know, pesky and persistent, um, you know, inflationary pressures, whether it be geopolitical and the like. And, and again, you know, like like a lot of those headwinds are out there, you know, kind of trading them is another story. And we're going to look at crude in a second here. But when I think about just kind of how some of these sectors in the stock market should perform in a higher rate environment, you know, it's important to remember that that move from 4% to 5% that we saw in the fall, it didn't, it wasn't there for that long. You know what I mean? It's not something that people had to get too used to, right? Mm-hmm. But it did send certain sectors lower. If we want to pull up the XLP, the consumer staples, we know Proctor is one of the biggest um, components of that. Well, Proctor, you know, today is having a day. And look at that. The stock has been really range bound, right? So it's up above that 200 day moving average. The headline today, guy, P&G rises as profit outlook helps offset slower sales growth. Now, again, we've been talking about for the last year and a half, some of these staples being able to put through price in you know increases right input cost increases and the like you know at you know trying to save their margins and that's worked okay so that stock has has done okay here at a time where yields are higher you would think a two and a half percent dividend yield stock you know a consumer staple trading at a premium to the market trading pretty well you would think on a day where yields are up that this stock might be down is that fair it is fair, but you know, you go back and look. I know you looked at it. I mean, they talked about operating margins improving by I think 400 basis points. So effectively, what's happening there is prices have remained the same, and input costs have come down significantly. And they're basically, again, the customers are the one that gets screwed in this thing. So the, the fascinating point about this, I think, is even when things do come down, prices are the things that remain sticky. I mean, it may, there's no other way to really break it down. I mean, it's manifesting itself in the quarter for Procter & Gamble. When you see margin improvement of that magnitude, it basically means they're buying their their input costs are going lower. They're buying the shit that they need for less, yep. but they're still basically charging the consumer the same price as they were, however many percentage ago in terms of those input costs. And that's why you're seeing that margin improvement. Now, 
we thought, and we talked about Procter & Gamble, I think, on Fast Money last week. We thought there's a chance it could bounce here. It does trade at a, a premium to the broader market. I think it's like 22 times next year's numbers, which is not egregious. We've seen Procter trade more expensive than that. But I think people really wrapping their head around the fact that margins, both on operating margin and the gross margin sides have been improving. So, so this is one thing I wanted to push back about those leading economic indicators that we've been tracking here, um, you know, in how many consecutive months they've been lower. I mean, at some point, Guy, if you start seeing the sort of margin improvement that, you know, a proctor has demonstrated or some other industries you've been talking about in the oil patch, there's other, you know, there's other areas that are operating much better. At some point, when they start to turn those economic indicators and these companies are operating better, right? Like that could be an inflection point for stocks. And here's another example of that today. Look at Verizon and look at the move that this stock is having. This is a stock that has a 6% dividend yield, right? Mm -hmm. So on a day that you see yields up the way they are, you would think that there'd be pressure right? On some of these high yielding sort of stocks that are really, you know, dividend, you know, bond proxies, right? Look at this thing. It's making a new, well, it's, it's basically touching a one year um, mm -hmm. high. It's well above that flattening 200 day moving average. And the headline there is after their earnings report, Verizon adds most new customers in two years in mobile turnaround, you know, so there are fundamental reasons that people are buying these stocks not just for a dividend. And you would think that that might be acting a little bit contrary in these sorts of news. So again, we'd be remiss not to point some of this out, Guy. Yeah, so if we could, 100%. So not that we're looking to play stock market with Verizon, but if you can go back a couple of years in Verizon, you will see that last October, October of 2023, obviously is when we bottomed out. Now go back a year from there and go back and look at October 2022. Yep. We bottomed out around 34 and a half. And then we basically spiked all the way up to, I think, 43 or so by the middle of January. So we've seen this pattern before, but then you brought it out even more and you'll see that every rally in this stock has been sold for the last basically four and a half or five years. So it's just something to keep in mind in terms of what's going on. Both Octobers were sort of the trough for the stock. You saw the bounce. We'll see if this lasts. Now, if Carter were here, which he's not, he would say it's a good sign that the moving averages are flattening out. And maybe this is a bearish to bullish reversal. But in order for me to sort of get really excited, I think it needs to have a couple more days of upside. And then maybe we can talk about a stock thinking back to sort of that $50 level, which it hasn't seen in quite some time. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but again, like I think a lot of these cross currents guy with, well, as we think about the macro and then we try to apply them to single names and what the companies are doing and what they're saying and what they're guiding to and what you would expect these sectors to trade like, I think, um, are really important to keep an eye on. Here's another one. Okay. We spent a lot of time talking about home builders um, in this kind of volatile rate environment. We saw the 30 year mortgage get what above 8% for the first time in decades, you know, late last year before they came off, we saw that the move that home builders had lower first, right? When the, when the, when the mortgage rate was that mm -hmm. high and then they didn't come off that much from eight to, six and a half percent or whatever. I don't know where they are right now, probably a little bit above that. And look at the move that some of these home builders were up 50, 60, 70% or so. Now here they are, you know, we have some news out of DHI. So um, I thought this was kind of interesting, huge move today. All right. Like, like on, on this name, was it down about 10% or so 
um, you know, well above that breakout level from a few months ago. And I guess it, it makes sense to focus on Lennar and Toll. You know, these are the two big kahunas in the space, right, that are down in sympathy. Again, you also have a day where yields are up. Make some sense of this guy. I know that, listen, this was an area that I think you were very constructive on, okay, in the fall, right? And you thought they probably got a little overdone with the yield move. Um, but you definitely thought once it broke out and they went up in that parab- parabolic way that it got overdone to the upside too. Where are you right now? And, and again, does this break of that uptrend, which is pretty steep in the last few months, is that important to you? Um, but if yields were to go higher, I could see this thing maybe pulling back towards that breakout level from maybe a month or two ago. Yeah, I'm not going to discount the uptrend. I, I think that's fine. But what I will say is this is this has been my belief. Now, it's been my belief probably for the last couple months. But as home bu- we were very constructive in home builders, I want to say, all of 2022 when it was completely contra and most of last year. We thought at a certain point last year that rates would hit levels where you'd hit this diminishing marginal returns for the home builders and they'd sell off. That's sort of what happened in the summer of last year as rates started to move precipitously higher. I think 465 was sort of the level where it sort of flipped for the home builders. But then, obviously, as rates cascaded lower, you saw this reacceleration. But here's the problem now. As much as it is a rate move, one has to ask himself, if you believe the unemployment rate, as I do, by the way, incorrectly for a while, by the way, but if you think the unemployment rate is going to start to move higher, you got to be really careful here in the home builders because that's when things, I think, start to turn. So today is a fascinating day in terms of those number of stocks. You throw Pulte Homes in there as well. We haven't seen downdraft like this in these stocks for quite some time. I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it, but I do believe this could be the start of something bigger to the downside. Yeah, I think it's one of those sectors where you probably want to sell rallies because, I mean, the likelihood of a precipitous drop in mortgage rates, you know, is not particularly great, even if the Fed lowers by 25 basis points, right, um, at the next meeting. Again, that is really, you know, something that the two year is probably more closely tracking than, say, than longer dated. All right, before we get out of here, there's two things we got to hit. We got to hit a little bit of the macro. It's an interesting article out of Bloomberg today, and let's take a look at the S&P 500, too, on the back of this. Goldman Sachs says momentum traders to sell stocks in every scenario, guy. No matter which way the markets go, Goldman says um, says some traders are a model to sell stocks over the next week. This is interesting. And equity derivatives and flow specialists at the bank expects the commodity trading advisors, so CTAs, you hear that expression a lot, um, that surf the momentum of asset prices through long and short beta in the or bets in the futures uh, market could be forced to sell after building $129 billion in long positions. Profit levels in particular for NASDAQ are the growing concern with positioning and uh, profits extended. The average long position is near 5% in, the, in profit, elevating the risk of profit taking unwinds and creating a potential headwind for a continued rally in the near term. So damned if you do, damned if you don't, guy. Um, talk to me a little bit because that S&P, I mean, kind of a beautiful breakout that that we saw, right? Yeah. From that, that kind of 4,600 level. We got to the 4,800, made new highs here. Um, where do we go from here, guy? Yeah, well, we looked at a chart. I mean, we do a longer term chart. And, you know, again, it's not an exact science, but, you know, there is still that chance for the double top in the S&P. Obviously, the Russell, the small caps have not, validated the move in the S&P 500. That's sort of what we're looking at here. But to answer your question, I mean, I, you know, I can't speak to the veracity of that Goldman note, but what I'll say is this. It effectively means that the market has gotten itself long enough where 
they're selling regardless. So if you get good news, they're sellers, bad news, they're sellers. And there might be some truth to that. So the incremental buyer might have become sort of the incremental seller. Of course, the problem is in an orderly market, that works really well. But if things start to unwind faster than people expect, you know, that selling starts to accelerate. And I'll say this for the hundredth time, things move faster to the downside than they do to the upside. And we haven't seen a move nearly of any magnitude, I want to say for the last few months at least, if not longer than that. So just be aware that that's out there. Yeah, and I guess let's just pull up the NASDAQ really quickly too, guy, because I think that will be the leadership to the downside again when you think of the concentration of the MAG7 of the NASDAQ 100 and you look at just basically how far we are from that 200-day moving average, right? So if there was to be some sort of material disappointment with a Microsoft or um, a Meta or you know an Alphabet, I, I mean, I, I throw Apple in there, but it's a very different story because it's not really attached to generative AI right now. Um, at the moment, I think a lot of people are braced for Chinese disappointment there, you know, even the like, but it really would have to come from one of these gen AI stories and video we're not going to get for another month or so like that one would be really interesting. But when you think about just just the steepness of this uptrend in the NASDAQ, you think of this 200 day moving average guy all the way, you know, this mm -hmm. is, you know, down there. I mean, to me, that's where the weakness comes from. That's where you get a pullback to those breakout levels of first, you know, from earlier in the fall. And then again, just a couple months ago. I mean, that's the one that I guess um, I'd be most focused on versus the S&P 500. It's going to be a stock that we don't expect. Uh, you know, I think, listen, we all talk about the obvious ones, but it's going to be something seemingly out of the blue that triggers this sort of some downstream play that warns and then people start connecting yeah. dots. I mean, the flip side of that coin was sort of Taiwan Semi, which seemingly gave the all clear to pretty much everything. But there's another side to that coin as well, where if you hear something about double ordering, triple ordering, inventories getting you know out of line, margin uh, contraction, those types of things from one of these secondary tertiary names, and then you start connecting dots, that's going to be the problem. And I'll say this about Taiwan Semi. I mean, listen, it's a great company, but Last year, year over year, I think it was a 20% decline in profit decline. I think it was 19.8 if I'm being exact. This time last year, I think it was a $92 stock. You see where it is now. So the stock is basically 20% higher-ish, a little bit more, on the back of 20% uh, profit declines. Now you'll say, how can that be? I'll tell you how it can be. Because the, basically, they're giving you the all clear sign going forward. Their guidance got people to believe that maybe the worst is over. So people are front running that. And that may well be the case, but just keep in mind what you're dealing with right here. Because by the way, we've heard similar from Taiwan Semi before where, you know, they're not, things weren't great in the quarter, but they sort of guide for the back half that gets people excited. Yeah. All right. Last thing. Um, and I think this is also just like you just mentioned, there's going to be one or two maybe downstream plays that kind of maybe have you refocus on some of the biggest drivers in the market. Another thing that I think you and I both agree, crude oil. Um, you know, finding a little bit of a home here, okay, in, in this kind of low 70s. We've been talking about this $70 range. Let's pull up the one-year chart. You see that flattening 200-day moving average. About Let's call it 77 and a half or so, guy. So if we were to trade this thing, I mean, I think both you and I would be playing for a breakout here. We'd be targeting a move at least back towards that 200-day, probably back towards 80 bucks or so. And if we can pull up a one-month chart of this, you, know, you can see this kind of series of kind of um, – 
higher lows that we've been making a little bit guy. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you see that, you know, where might you stop that? I don't know. I might stop like a really tight stop in the meantime at like 72 and a half or something like that. You know what I mean? I just, I want to keep, I don't want, to let this thing get down to 70, get stopped out, that sort of thing. I want to take a couple of different cracks. And again, I don't think the idea of playing for something really bad in the red. So you can see that little uptrend that's kind of been in place there. Mm -hmm. And look at that one day guy from about five or six trading days ago. It had that really like big range, you know, you can get stopped out pretty quickly if you have too tight of stop. That's why I think the whole idea of like 72 and a half, 73 to the downside. Um, but I want to keep it fairly tight here guy yeah you probably i mean the right stop is probably the low that we saw i think on january 16th or 17th whatever that was probably like 70 85 that's uh, a pretty good guess by me but there you go i mean that's probably the right level but i understand what you're saying you want to keep a tighter leash on this thing than that it's amazing again if you had told me all the things that would transpire over the last month especially what's going on in the red sea the continued escalation seemingly in the middle east and Where's crude oil going to be? I would have been it's at least 85, if not higher. And obviously, it's nowhere close. But to your earlier point, it's actually traded decently over the last eight to 10 trading sessions. So it's just something to keep in mind. And I agree with you there. The ones that are sort of left you know, on the roadside have been these equities, specifically the big cap integrated names, which can't get out of their own way. But you know, if crude were to sort of find its home, and by the way, last I looked, and I looked at it yesterday, I should look today, but you know, we've gone into a bit of a backwardation, too, in terms of the underlying commodities. So just something to keep in mind, because historically, obviously, that becomes a pretty bullish signal. All right. Fair enough. All right. We covered a lot of ground here today, guy. We have Netflix after the close. You and I are both going to be on CBC's Fast Money, breaking it all down. Um, again, I, I got to give you kudos. That stock got all the way back to that gap level. I want to say from like a year and a half ago, it was one of the first, it was like a 20% gap on earnings and that guidance, right? And you see this thing, you know, banging up against it right here, just below $500. That was mm -hmm. kind of like a North Star for you there. I think that you and I are probably both in agreement that you know, have at it people. I mean, like, you know, you know, I, you know, from here on out, uh, you know, I, I don't know what you do with this thing because that move in late 2021 was a bit of a blow off here and it corrected a bit of that fairly quickly. It just seems like it's a bit of an equilibrium. It's probably the midpoint of this multi-year move here. You know, I can, yeah, you know, I can see a scenario where we come in tomorrow and Netflix is 525 and I'm apologizing because I told people that if you've enjoyed this run to take profits, I mean, that is an absolute possibility, but even if that were to happen, you know, I still think the prudent thing to do is to take money off the table if you're long and look for a better entry point. Or if you've been waiting for the entry point, I think you might get it on the back of this earnings release. So it's not that I don't like Netflix. I do. And obviously, with each passing day, we're learning more and more that it's basically, you know, Netflix world and everybody else is trying to catch up. But with that said, you've had a pretty unabated run for the last year and a half or so to the upside couple downtrends notwithstanding. Yeah, and just really quickly, though, for 2024, consensus is calling for 30% EPS growth. That's on a gap basis on, you know, sales growth that looks like mid-teens or something. So it's trading about 30 times. So on a PE to growth, pretty reasonable, and especially for a stock like Netflix. But again, let's see what their subscribers look like. Let's see the the, the cost that they're going to start laying out, um, you know, for live sports broadcasting. That's something that I think we're going to hear a lot more about in 20. 2024. That was a similar concern with all that original programming that went on over the last decade or so. So we will see. All right, we'll check back on that one tomorrow. Guy Adami, it was great to be back with you on the market call. Thanks to obviously all the people 
watching live. And listen, we get a lot of people watch this thing over the next 24 hours until we do the next market call. So wherever you find that, and obviously, thanks to our sponsor, CME Group and FactSet. Thanks to you, bud. Watch it in your podcast store. I don't even know what that means. Nah, we'll see. Yeah, just we'll watch, see. watch it on YouTube. That's you, fine. YouTube. You know, I have the YouTube application, <laughs> yeah. believe it or not. Yeah, you do. You had to, I had to download it. Yeah, the, the alphabet, the Google owns that. All right, nobody, thanks, nobody everybody. Does. We'll be yeah, back tomorrow. See ya. Bye. Bye.